Welcome into Words with Wallace. I'm your host, Nick Wallace, coming at you. It is Thursday, August 22nd. And again, guys, if you're seeing the title, if you're watching on the YouTube, you can see we are joined by another very special guest. We have on my guy, Brendan Clean. He is a credentialed Suns media member. He's been covering the Suns for about six years now. Uh, another host on the Locked On Podcast Network, of course, the Locked On Suns, and his own podcast, the Just Basketball Podcast. Brendan, we're happy to have you. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. I uh, am looking forward to the season. I'm ready for basketball. It's just those August days where you're just looking forward to next season, but happy to be on with you. See, Brendan says that, but what you guys might not know offhand is this guy is just cranking podcasts left and right. He's got his own podcast he's doing a couple times a week. He's going, what is it? It's, it's three days a week right now on the Suns, right? It's going to go up to, to five days a week in short order here. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> slow down. You know, I guess uh, a couple years ago when the Olympics had Booker in them, that was that was a nice little uh, bonus for us. But yeah, you know how it is. You get creative. Yep, exactly, man. Well, we're we're here making it. We're a couple basketball junkies talking it out, man. And from the outside looking in, and, and I don't want to be dismissive of, of course, their their NBA Finals run just a couple years back. But even then, you know, I think they they surpassed a lot of expectations for that team that year. So. You know, yeah. my question for you is, is what are the vibes like? And is this perhaps the most hyped season in Suns history? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I guess the 21-22 season was coming after their finals appearance was, was a big one, too, just because they had just, as you mentioned, surpassed those expectations. The year they made the finals, no. I mean, that was not a hyped year at all. It was exciting that Chris Paul was in town. It was, you know, coming off of a bubble experience where the Suns went undefeated but nobody really had super high hopes I remember Jay Crowder at, at training camp said that they wanted to be a top 10 defense that year and like that was the headline like can they even do that you know that was just like where expectations were the year after they made the finals obviously was finals or bust and I, I think every year since then really has been but uh, last year with the injuries and not getting Durant at the beginning of the season and all that stuff this is definitely the most hype season of this era and when I think back even longer ago you know Charles Barkley getting traded here the year after they go to the finals in 93 but you know that was Michael Jordan's decade that was an intense passionate excited fan base but tempered expectations I think too so yeah the league is wide open this year they have had embarrassments the past two seasons on their home court to uh, exit the playoffs and there is definitely a hunger this team's never won a championship so obviously it goes without saying that that's all any fan really wants to see I love the call back to 93 I got I had to show you my Barkley t-shirt here that I forgot to point out before we started recording it's my <laughs> one and only piece of Suns apparel if you can even call it that but uh, that's awesome, man. Yeah, I feel as though you're in the midst of, of I know Bill Simmons has famously trademarked it, is, is new owner syndrome. Matt yeah. Ishbia, he's getting what he wants. He obviously pulls off one of the largest trade compensation packages ever to acquire Kevin Durant at the trade deadline last year, right? You know, he stays yep. on that hunt and he looks to acquire Bradley Beal as well. You know, what is it like? Are you just kind of checking your phone every so often, just like waiting for like, what is the next Ishbia headline? Of course, he's getting into stuff on the sidelines with Jokic like last season as well. What's it like in the short tenure of Matt Ishbia so far? Crazy, for sure. I, I think, uh, yeah, you're right to say that there's been something every couple of months. I think, uh, you know, even off the court, like got into a big legal battle to get the, the, the TV broadcasts on local, like, 
you know, put your satellite dish out there, put your bunny ears up TV. And he is creating a whole new thing around the team's ring of honor. And Sean Marion and Amari Stoudemire are going to have big uh, ceremonies this year to get inducted into that. And those guys had a bad relationship with ownership before, which is why it's been, you know, 13 and 15 years respectively since those dudes have been on the team and it took this long to get them in there. So there's some other stuff going on, but I think that's going to have to satisfy him in that new owner uh, experience for the time being because there is real no real big move left to make. This is sort of it, and uh, I think the next big move would be in the other direction, and I think Suns fans hope that's not coming anytime soon either. So this is the team. This is a very good team, and, yeah, he's a big reason why. You know, I mean, not to be – too uh too dark with it but obviously the last dude left a lot of sour tastes in a lot of people's mouths and and not to mention just not investing in the team so Suns fans are over the moon about Matt Ishbia we'll see where it goes absolutely man you guys are definitely in the midst of a honeymoon phase and and that's a great point leading me to my next question is there aren't many many moves left to make on this current roster right they are definitely working around the fringes with the salary cap situation I mean to my limited understanding of the new CBA change it seems like they're going to be at least at that second apron for the next couple of seasons which is interesting but again I think if you're a hungry fan you you would rather have the owner that's willing to pay that those stars and bring it in uh bring in that top tier talent but you know my next question for you is do you think, and again, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, I'm, I'm very excited about this Suns season as well, but like, do you think there's any part of you that feels as though the Suns have overbet with this current roster, right? Have they, you know, gone too hungry in terms of the stars? Like, was getting that third star, uh, really fourth star again, I, I hate when people say the big three for the Suns, because I feel like that's a, a skosh disrespectful of DeAndre Ayton, right? Like, he might end up being He's much more... He's not a star. You're good. Yeah, I don't. I wouldn't call him a star, I guess, but I do think in terms of value for the Suns next season, yeah. he could still be a more valuable piece than Bradley Beal. That that remains to be seen. But regardless, mm. you know, they went out, they got Bradley Beal. They're obviously working around minimum contracts and and the veteran minimums to fill out the rest of that roster. Do you think mm-hmm. it was you know a little too hungry to go out and get Bradley Beal as opposed to maybe having a little bit more cap flexibility to acquire more depth, or do you are you all in on the playmaking and the moves that Matt Ishbia has made to date? Yeah, to echo your, uh, you know, let's not make it uh, too boring with the salary cap stuff, but the the Suns made their bed with this whole thing, so to speak, when they made the Kevin Durant trade. They didn't really... There were a few scenarios where they would have had some flexibility to have, let's say, access to the $12 million non-taxpayer mid-level exception you know, when you were hearing rumors of Kyrie Irving might meet with the Suns and take the 12 million, like that wasn't going to happen, but that was where that all was coming from. And so, but that would have included most likely cutting uh, Chris Paul and and probably having to throw away and kind of dump some guys on the rest of the roster onto other teams. And you probably are giving up assets to do that, like your picks and some of your, well, they didn't really have a lot of young players, but that type of thing. And so, the Beal trade, to me, it's a no-brainer. They did the best that they could. They basically turned Chris Paul into Bradley Beal for the cost of Landry Shamit's salary and uh, a, a few more pick swaps that most likely they weren't going to have great draft picks in anyway. And even if they were, great. That's the cost of getting a, a really good player. The Suns made themselves in this situation from a, a salary standpoint when they when they got to ramp because they... You know, Cam Johnson wasn't on 
a contract at all. Mikhail Bridges is making one of the best con is on one of the better contracts in the whole league at about 20, 25 million a year uh, with, you know, all-star level production. So when they turned that into Durant making 50 plus over the next few seasons, that's what escalated them to where they are now because Devin Booker is going to be on a new contract soon. And you mentioned Dayton. So they really just got screwed by making this godfather trade right before a new CBA that they couldn't have known would include all these new rules. So, yeah, I think it's a little bit of a misconception that the Beal trade really did them in in some kind of way that they weren't already going to be. And I think you rather have him than Chris Paul. And at the end of the day, when you want to win a championship, that fact is kind of all that matters. Yeah, that's a great point. It's The, the better question would be, like, how much – how much maneuverability did they really sacrifice by going out and getting Bradley Beal in the first place, yeah. right? Like, and 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 to that point, you know, I was really impressed with the moves that they made to fill out the rest of the roster, right? Like, obviously, Eric Gordon is a, a seasoned pro, and um, you know, the exact, you know, the quintessential type of person that you would want to bring off the bench. Now, obviously, they have some, you know, question marks with the lack of perimeter defense there, and I don't know if Gordon provides a huge help in that category. You know, I still haven't sold any Bull Bull stock. I know you guys are making jokes that he averages uh, more social posts on, like, Bleacher Report than he does, like, minutes per game, it seems like. But, like, I'm mm -hmm. still all in for the veteran minimum. You could probably do worse. There's definitely guys with sure. – uh, not many guys with higher upside you could grab. So, with that, I mean, I think you have to be excited about the way that they've, they've you know, kind of worked around the fringes to complete that roster, no? They basically kind of transported what James Jones has done in the draft with guys like – Cam Johnson and some some misses like Jalen Smith and his philosophy there has always been guys who uh, we know what they are they are older they are just needing a a structure to be maximized as a player but maybe they don't have a ton of untapped potential in terms of a ceiling outside of just how they can impact good teams and you could really see like he, he has called it over the offseason mid prime veterans that's kind of become the, his his new buzzword the GM and um, it 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 pans out it bears out when you look at who they added Kata Bates Diop is a dude who you know really performed well on a bad team in San Antonio last year but the indicators of his shooting and his defense and things like that seem pretty real Drew Eubanks is going to be their backup center, and he's a guy who looked awesome, frankly, as a rim protector and, and finisher and can move his feet a little better than you would you would guess as a, as a five-man, and, and he's going to be plugged into, you know, not the sub-500 Portland Trailblazers, but, hey, go play 15 minutes and just really own your role on a championship team, and I think you would expect that he should probably – be able to do that. I would even say Jordan Goodwin, who they got in the Beal trade from Washington, fits that mold. Somebody who, again, played well down the stretch for a Wizards team that wasn't going anywhere, but has real point of attack defensive potential. Made some of it, made his corner threes at a pretty good rate, and is a ball handler. One of the only ones on this team who's like a, a kind of pure point guard type of player, and getting a bigger opportunity. I'm not sure if he'll be in the rotation, but he fits the bill there at 25, too. So. I think it was smart to do that. You add Gordon, who to me was just sort of a cherry on top of all of it. I'm not even sure they thought they would get him. The Clippers had to cut him, and he had to say no to some other offers before he even ended up in Phoenix. But they obviously, I'm sure, are counting their you know, blessings that he did because he might close for this team. So 
a lot has to go right. It's not a given that all that stuff will go in the Suns' favor, but I think they gave themselves enough possibilities and kind of bites at the apple there that you really only need eight guys by playoff time, and you probably already have five. So who are the other three? They'll have a whole season to figure that out. Maybe they do try to maneuver a little bit. They're not going to have a lot to do, but they need to. They can try in the trade deadline area. They have a couple trade exceptions, the pick swaps and stuff that they still have left, second-round picks that they acquired and they'll try to upgrade from there. But I think given the circumstances, they got talent about as well as you could have guessed or hoped for. Yeah, that's all great points there. And I actually have a fun anecdote for you for a couple of the names that that you said there because, you know, Keita Bates-Diop and Josh Okoji are two guys that I think are in contention for being uh, the fifth closer or starter for this team, depending on how things go. And I'm going to ask you about that in a second. But it was about five years ago, I was actually working for the Timberwolves, right? I was in sales and whatnot, and they had us, you know, stay late on draft night, right? They, it was an internship, and, you know, they're like, hey, in case, you know, they make a big trade or they draft a big name out of college, like, you know, you got to be ready to make some calls, try to make some sales based on the hype of this draft pick. And the Wolves in that draft literally drafted Josh Okoji and Keita Bates-Diop, and then after the second pick in the first round, my, my boss came in and was like, yep all right, we can go home, sent us home. So it uh, wasn't a lot of excitement around those names, but it is kind of hilarious that they both ended up on, uh, you know, this is Suns roster that's contending for a championship. So, you know, with that, is it one of those two guys? Is it a guy like Jordan Goodwin who we were just talking about? You know, obviously they have, you know, 82 games to figure this out. That's the whole po- point of the regular season. It's way too early to be, you know, guessing about who's going to be their, their fifth, you know, starter, closer, whatever, come playoff time. But what's your gut feeling? Yeah. Who would you like to see out there? And who do you think is the early favorite to be that fifth guy? Because that's the spot where we've seen other teams that are contending kind of struggle to find that fifth starter, is it, you know, in Cleveland, Milwaukee, et cetera. So who do you think that guy's going to be for the Phoenix Suns this upcoming season? Yeah, and to your point, I mean, we even saw the Suns struggle with it in the postseason last year when Chris Paul was filling the Beal slot and Durant was still here, obviously, by that point. And they didn't know who their fifth starter or closer was going to be. It was Torrey Craig for the first round. Then he misses his threes. They don't really need his size. It's like, okay, TJ Warren some nights. It's Landry Shamit other nights. It's Terrence Ross for two minutes at a time before that, that went wrong. So, yeah, it is an open question. I think... Uh, my expectation, and you know, obviously it's it's the the middle of the off season. We haven't heard anything from Frank Vogel since really this roster got put together, and we don't. It's just guessing. But I would say Kade Bates Diop would be my ex my, my guess to start the, for this team at a forward spot. You can call it the three, whatever you want to say. I think his length, I think his shooting ability to space the floor, and his size. Uh, just kind of, you know, the strength and physicality that he has to his game too will fit with what Frank Vogel wants to do, taking away the paint defensively, switching defensively, uh, one through four. And if he can make shots like he did for the Spurs last year, I think that's a perfect sort of role player to plug in with the starters, with the other star players, and somebody who can just kind of do the little things and and be a 3 and D guy for this team. I would say closing-wise, my guess is most nights it will be Eric Gordon just because of the offensive ability. There will be some nights where they really need defense, and maybe it's not him. But I I just think you're talking about in that five-man unit with the four stars and, and Gordon, you're talking about probably one of the best lineups in basketball if all goes according to plan and definitely one of the best offensive lineups in all of basketball I think it's going to be pretty hard to stop. So I think that's who we'll see them close games with more often than not. Yeah, 
that's a great point. I mean, you can't really, you know, teach how many big games that Eric Gordon's been in over the course of different franchises and, and over a decade here in the league. And, you know, you could basically guarantee that if it ends up being an offense-defense situation in a late game, in a, in a regular season game, in a playoff game, the offensive option is always going to be Eric Gordon. And defensively, you're probably looking at a Koji. Uh, and God forbid yep. he develops a jump shot, right? Because then he's going to be the easy choice to stay on the floor most of the time if a, if a Koji can consistently knock down threes. Because I still think he's one of the best perimeter defenders in, in the entire league, to be honest with you, with some of the wow plays he makes. A little undersized, but... Uh, Sounds like yeah. you think it should be a Koji. I, I kind of do, but like, I'm, again, I'm a little biased, you know, that, that Wolves thing and him being the first round <laughs> pick when I was there it was cool. I was able to, to chop it up with him a little bit, but I just feel like he makes, you know, a lot of impact plays. He's obviously a younger guy, a little bit undersized, but as far as perimeter defense, I think he's the best option. But like, again, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's not overthink it, right? Like if, if he's not knocking, if he can't knock down a, an open corner three, like I just don't really see, you know, a world in which it's worth having him out there for that little extra defensive intensity, unless somebody's absolutely cooking you on the other end. I think they just went away from him too early in last year's playoffs. So I agree with you. I think that he should get a shot. I think that they will consider him. You've seen players like him. I mean, I'm saying like him, and it's not a one-to-one, but, you know, like think about what Alex Caruso was able to turn into with Frank Vogel, right? It's – it it can be like that. Obviously, Caruso sort of had a jump shot, but it's not like he's a knockdown shooter really, and he's pretty hesitant to take them a lot of the time. I, I think the other ways you could see a Kogi and get involved are: can he be a screener? Can he have the ball in his hands sometimes more than more than maybe he has in the past? Can they just make it work enough to where you can survive with him on the court? Because I agree. I mean, you look at any stat or whatever; he's one of the best perimeter defensive players in the NBA, and that's something they're lacking because you don't really want to have to ask Booker or be able to do that too much. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, the beautiful thing about the Suns is this this might not matter, right? They they have enough talent up front with their top, you know, 3-4 guys where where it really might na- might not make a difference. And a big reason as to why I say that is of course the leap that I saw Devin Booker make. Now, I wasn't necessarily a humongous Devin Booker guy before that, but I know, you know, obviously they they end, ended up exiting in the second round at the hands of Denver in the playoffs and it wasn't the longest playoff run, but I mean, he in, not even to mention the incredible lights out shooting like the guy literally was shooting like 80 percent for you know large stretches on difficult pull-up yeah. isolation baskets i mean we all saw that firsthand which was insane but like even like the defensive leap that he took in those playoff mm-hmm. games now again playing more minutes it's higher intensity he's giving it everything he's got but like how much of that that in, in heightened play that we saw from Devin Booker in this past playoff run. Do you think that there was a true leap that was made? Do you think any of those defensive elements are sustainable heading into next regular season? First of all, I'm surprised it took you till this spring to be a Devin Booker believer. We got to rewind back to that. I mean, come on, the dude, the dude scored 40 in back-to-back finals games and was guarding Chris Middleton down the stretch of those ones. I mean, what, what else did you need to see? He I has wasn't to be a superhero to get your respect. Come on, man. I just no look. I mean, I I just for me he was he was clearly not even he was not in the conversation of that true top tier of player. Like I didn't think he could necessarily be a one on on a contending team. Now again, you could make the argument that he was back in 2021. I understand that. I think Chris Paul had a huge hand in that, and they were obviously a very well-rounded team in a very bizarre season for what it's worth. But again, I just was like, man, like. This might be, you know, not to be too cliche, this this might be Booker's team. Like, like Durant obviously didn't play mm-hmm. his absolute best basketball in the playoffs. He was still solid. But, like, I, the leap that I saw um, was really impressive. But, look, I'm no, I'm no yeah. hater of Devin Booker. He dropped 70 <laughs> no, on you. my team when he was 20 years old. I was like, all right, he's got my attention. But, uh, 
No, I just want to know, like, man, like, what, what, yeah. what changed this upcoming playoff series, and how can he, how can he sustain that? Yeah, I don't think much changed, to be honest. And I, I mean, of course, it's inconceivable to expect anybody to do what he did in the Clippers series specifically, and in the early part of the the Nugget, the first four games really of the Nugget series for. 82 games let alone like a whole title push and I think you could make the case that he probably was a little hurt by the end of the the postseason and the guy was playing 40 plus minutes it wasn't an ideal circumstance but I don't think that what we saw was a a leap so much as it was just kind of putting it together and having a, a real bonafide second superstar player next to him that created space and and gravity and and all that stuff that Booker's skills could take over games to an even larger degree you know and and I think defensively obviously what we saw him do creating steals locking down Gordon and Westbrook uh, in particular the way that he did uh, was the highest heights we've really seen him reach just because of the playoff nature of all of it but you know, like I mentioned, the guy was the by the end of the Bucks series in the finals two years ago. I thought the Suns should have put Booker on Middleton over Bridges over Crowder. I thought that he was their best chance to to stop him. You know, I nobody played great in the Dallas series. That's a unique team to defend because it's really just can you body Luca and get him uncomfortable? And the answer was no, and so they lost. But you know, I think he's been able to do that. I think he will continue to be a, a pretty solid wing defender when they need him to be in this upcoming season. So to, you know, circle back to the kind of, is this his team thing? I mean, culturally, big picture, yes, the Suns are Devin Booker's team. But uh, basketball-wise, I think if things continue like they looked in the playoffs, Devin Booker is better than Kevin Durant right now. And that sounds crazy, but it's kind of, hard to argue from what we just saw there's things that Durant can do that maybe are more valuable that are a little bit harder to replace because the dude is an alien but besides that simple fact of he's 6'10 and can dribble and shoot and you know block shots and rebound and all that stuff like just in terms of executing what they're being asked to do at the high at a higher level between the two of them I think you would have to say it's Booker and regardless this team has two top eight players top 10 players like Nobody else can say that. Yeah, I, I, it's crazy that I'm agreeing with you because I absolutely love Kevin Durant and I still think he is obviously in that top tier as well. But that's what makes the Suns so dangerous, and we'll see. And you know, one last question here on Booker, not to not to beat that beat this too hard here, but like you know, I talk about Booker curious. all day. You're good. Yeah, right. Yeah, no, right. Um, you know, Devin Booker, question number four hundred here. But you know, I'm just kind of curious. Obviously, we've seen him be a a secondary playmaker alongside Chris Paul and a, and a primary playmaker as well obviously Chris Paul has missed stretch basically every year of, that he's been on the Suns but like you know obviously you don't want to take the ball you know you don't want to have Devin Booker be focused too much on playmaking because he is such a talented shot creator but like it does pretty much seem like he's going to be the de facto point guard on this team all season and you know obviously not only being tasked with you know putting the ball in Kevin Durant's hands in spots where he wants it but you know now yeah. Bradley Beal and DeAndre Ayton as well you know again like I think Booker's up for the challenge, but you just don't want to see him, you know, put his scoring on the back burner too much. Is that at all a concern of yours? Or do you think that this is just going to open up the game even more for Devin Booker with him, you know, bringing up the ball up the court most of the time as well? To me, it's a little bit less of like, is it going to hamper his scoring? I, I don't think it will. I think 
to me, it's more there is a value that you get from having Booker. What him running around off ball does to a defense is noticeable. It it really impacts his teams. And so if you lose that, there is a little bit of how do we replace it? Luckily, Bradley Beal will be able to do some of that. And, you know, the team can just sort of evolve and change and, and you might not miss it too badly. Um, but I, I, I think the bigger concern maybe is wear down and, and, and just, he is somebody who has these soft tissue injuries in his lower body almost every year, whether it's, uh, the hamstring or whatever, uh, it it might be. And so you just don't want to have to see that happen. But I mean, this is a dude who, you know, when he came into the league, it was like, he's a six man in Kentucky. Is he, you know, what is he in the NBA? Is he, is he really that good right and he plays he's starting by the end of his rookie season then he you know can he do more than just kind of be a shooter scorer like secondary guy yes he becomes a point guard of a really bad team but a, a, a an nba team nonetheless and and kind of does everything you need to then it's like okay ricky rubio's here monty williams is here can he go back to being just like a devastating off-ball guy yeah he has the most efficient season of his career can he win yes and he wins immediately when chris paul gets there can he become more of a point guard, more of a primary playmaker and defender. Now that they need him to do that, yeah, he plays like a historically amazing, you know, playoff series against Denver, uh, against Clippers and Denver, a whole postseason that's you know historically great in terms of efficiency and production. So if your kind of question coming into this season is like, can he do all of that all the time and be you know a, an All NBA you know MVP type candidate? I don't know why you would say anything besides probably yes, he can do that because the best players just kind of evolve and take on whatever they need to take on. And over time it might seem crazy, but eventually they kind of just become that. So if you think he's as good as he's proven, he is, you kind of have to say yes. So I think he'll be able to handle it. I think he will do it. And again, you know, where does that take him in the hierarchy of the league? We'll see. Changing the pace here to, to the coaching change, right? This is obviously a extremely recent coach of the year candidate. Um, and, and Monty Williams that has now departed and um, obviously bringing another ch- uh, coach here with championship pedigree and Frank Vogel. You know, what do you think yeah. are the biggest changes you expect to see from this change in the coaching department? And, and what does this mean for players like DeAndre Ayton specifically? Sure, I'll come back to Ayton. I think the changes that we'll see are this is a team that had a great regular season defense that got exploited in the play in the playoffs, right? Um you know, Giannis is parading to the free throw line. Luca is getting matchups he wants and, you know, free paths to the basket. They're not really doubling or sending a lot of help. They're they're letting switches happen against Luca and they they fail there. Last year, I'm not gonna really pick too many nits, but they could have done some things that they didn't do. Uh they obviously had a lot of injuries by the end of the Denver series too. But um you will see a defense that the floor and ceiling are higher of, I would I would think, or at least that's what they'll hope. Right, I think you'll, the the Suns fouled a lot last year. They weren't a great transition defense over the course of Monty's tenure here, and they were an inconsistent paint defense. A lot of that does come down to Aiton, but I think you know your kind of help principles, you know, however nerdy you want to get, and and all that stuff, and how big of the lineups are that you're playing, and obviously the roster building. Jay Crowder being your power forward, there's not a whole lot you can do there, but you know that'll evolve with Durant there uh, in his place now, naturally. But I think Vogel will will help it. So I think again, yeah, floor and ceiling defensively should go up. And then I think the other part and really where it, what it came down to with Monty, you can point to the 
off-court stuff, the relationships that he had with different guys and whether that was good or bad or whatever. Um, and that, that obviously is important. But I, to me, the number one reason that it was time for Monty Williams to, to go is he, didn't, he did not treat the regular season and the time heading toward the ultimate goal of a championship enough like an experiment or a practice run and, and all the sorts of things toward what you were going to need to do to win the championship. And there were just too many times where he was kind of stuck to his gun, stuck to his lineup, stuck to his schemes when things were, you know, when, when you know what was hitting the fan, right? So that that's just unacceptable for a championship team to be caught off guard and kind of playing on their back foot so often. And I think Vogel, having gone through this and evolved and thrown different stuff at the wall over time on a bunch of different, two different teams that had championship aspirations with a bunch of different rosters on each one, he should be ready to do that. So it's not the most specific answer, but you know, a lot of it we'll have to see based on personnel. But I think those are the main things, just really treating the, the season like a, a, a canvas to mess around on, you know, and then also the defense, of course, it's Frank Vogel. You would hope that that gets even better. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of great points being made there. And, you know, I think he hit it on the head, you know, obviously the, the relationship stuff with Monty, you know, obviously beloved in some circles. And, and it's also at the same time publicly known that he just, you know, can't get along with the starting center of the team, which obviously leads to some issues. So it did seem like a mutual departure would be beneficial for both sides, which it clearly has been. The Suns get their, you know, Matt Ashby gets his guys. Suns get a, a coach that's won a title, and Monty becomes the highest paid coach in the league. That's you know, in the league that sounds like a a true win win when it comes to amicable departures of coaching in the NBA here. So um, appreciate that insight. I'm definitely curious to see what Frank brings to the table next season. And you know, I think that basically wraps up most of the the Sun centered questions that I have for you here, Brendan. But you know, before I let you go, I wanted to know. Obviously, there's a lot of buzz around the NBA of you know, the easy Western Conference teams, right? Obviously, Denver marched to a title pretty easily. And while Miami somehow, you know, shocked the world by coming out of the East. So I feel like not a lot of people are talking about the, the contenders in the East. So I want I want to hear your opinion as a Suns fan of, of what team, again, as a Suns fan, scares you the most coming out of the out of the East. It's a yeah. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about the the East. I think I'm a, a little. Let's uh, go one step at a time with the Western <laughs> Conference first. Uh, what do you mean? But, it's August. Yeah. I need your finals pick. Come on, man. What are we doing? You're behind. <laughs> no, I hear you. I I think um yeah. I think that I'm I'm a little. I'll say before the East, the Nuggets and Warriors uh, are the are the teams that would make me the most nervous from a Phoenix standpoint, but. Um, yeah, in the Eastern Conference, I think it's going to be an even more strange year in the East than it has been, considering the uncertainty in Philadelphia, the big changes in Boston, and the fact that the Bucks are 400 years old. So I, I don't know. If, if, the, if the Heat can get the Lillard trade done, like pencil that in. I'm, that's my pick. I, I don't even really care what else their roster looks like. But until we know that, uh, I, I, I would just have to say the Bucks again because we know that that team is a – somewhat of a bad matchup for the Suns, having seen it already, but this is also a way different Suns team. So uh, I, I, I don't even know for sure if I can say that, but Drew Holiday, you know, guarding Devin Booker, Giannis, Durant, like it, it sort of matches up, and the Bucks are one of the only teams that I think you would say are bigger than pretty much anybody in the league, definitely still bigger than Phoenix. So uh, that, that would probably be my answer. I think a rematch of that series would just be um, – Completely terrifying to any Suns fan, or at least depressing, we'll say. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I think we're going to have a, a you know a lot of drama in this upcoming season in this upcoming playoffs. Obviously, we'll see if you run into your uh, you know your fake rivals, the Mavericks, along the way, and on that playoff <laughs> run as well. I think that would be exciting for all parties. But again, Brendan, thank you so much for your time. Let the people know where they can find you and all your awesome podcasts. Yeah, Locked on Suns will be daily starting in September and uh, just basketball show. We are twice a week right now, hopefully going to three by the time the season starts. We'll be doing FIBA World Cup stuff, WNBA playoffs, and then right into the start of the NBA season. So doing the same thing as uh, as as this guy is, but hopefully, you know, the more the merrier. Obviously a huge fan of all your content and highly encourage you guys to check it out. And before I let you go, of course, make sure you guys all follow at Words with Wallace as well. I'll be back with another episode for you guys next week. And I will talk to you guys then. Thanks again, Brendan, and peace. Peace.